Passing Dimes is over the moon to partner with BetStamp. BetStamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Do you enjoy betting on the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, World Cup, or more? With BetStamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Go to the App Store today and download BetStamp for free and use code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S. For a limited time, BetStamp is offering you, a friend of the show, an opportunity to learn more about BetStamp and several sportsbooks where you can get an edge in online sports betting. Message the Passing Dimes Instagram or Facebook account for more information. Hello and welcome back to Sharp Cuts. My name is Garrett May alongside Josh Nickel. As always, welcome back to the show. We are on a roll. Welcome back to the show. We are hype. I'm I'm feeling spicy tonight, Josh. You better watch it, okay? Because we're coming in hot tonight. And we got a great guest to help us, help me chirp you, Josh. Yeah, that's right. Okay, please welcome to the show, Andrew Koss. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. And you're, you're going to help me bury Josh, right? That's why you're here. I don't know. I think me and Josh agree more on most things, I would say. So, Garrett, I think this is going to go TV one. But but I honestly, I'll, I'll try to be impartial here as much as I can. This is going to be a problem then. Josh, I see what you're doing here, bringing on people who back you up all the time. Gosh, are you going to say anything today? Or should we leave you silent for the first 10 minutes of the episode again? You know, when you when yes. is, work as closely with costs as I do, you know, Garrett, we, we don't really fight. You know, when we get in those heated moments, I feel like we're finally talking. You know, we get to the truth. We really, you know, get to the issues. It, it's just a great yin and yang connection we have. It's just great to coach with your friends who are so professional and good at what they do. I mean, it must be special because you're not like that with anybody. So you two must have a really special connection. So, I mean, hopefully we see that come through in this episode. Pay attention. Comment down below if these two are full of it, okay? Anyways, I'm coming in hot and spicy because I got a topic that I, I'm pretty sure we're going to disagree on. And I'm curious to hear your perspective. So send us a text. Nobody's commenting, Josh. I mean, maybe they didn't know we were back. Maybe, you know, it's early in the year. Like, you know, like, hey, we're back and I'll get in the rhythm. So... Let's jump into it. So I'm curious um, because a friend of mine, Michael Denton, assistant coach at the U of T men's volleyball program, former crush athlete, um, sent me a message and asked me a question, which was a, definitely a, a stumper for me. One I definitely thought about, I was like, oh, I don't have an awesome answer for this, but I think I formulated it over the last few days. But uh, the question was, to what extent should you game plan to play to your strengths versus playing to your opponent's weaknesses. And, you know, there were a few examples thrown around of, you know, what that looks like. But I think the obvious one is that comes up all the time. It's like, oh, set the left side guy and hit line when the setter's in the front court because it's a small block. Like that that's the small block, so let's set into it and exploit that weakness on their side as opposed to let's set our best guy more often. Maybe it's not that guy type thing. So curious your guys thoughts and i feel like we're gonna have some differing opinions here on what really is the best way to attack this we got a group of coaches here let's dive in come on what's the perspective who's gonna go out on a limb and lay it down first i can i can take this one first i honestly confidence think, yeah. andrew i like it josh folded up I'm, already yeah i'm a, i'm a big guy on uh i think if you practice well enough and and you're trained well enough you're a well-oiled machine like I know John Barrett does at UFT. There's the shout out and little plug just to help out the boys after a tough weekend was, um, was uh, I think you train to your strengths. You build that. It's natural. The center knows where to go. Right. And then you worry about the other side. I, I, I strongly disagree with ever kind of worrying about trying to facilitate one side. I'll be honest. I mean, there's obviously you can run like overloads. You can run certain things. You can run spread offense. But I'm, I'm saying you, you you focus more on their side, unless it's you're playing really down your competition. I would say that's the one caveat if I'm sitting on the fence a little bit. But Okay. Yeah, well, so you're you're going in on that example. But what about on defense? Like, say you've got a middle who's really good at closing to the right side. So we're like, hey, you just go to the right side. Like, go and dominate that right side guy because you got a big block out there. Like, or Or does it matter based on offense, defense? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, on defense, I think, again, it still starts to their side. Like, it, what are they going to beat you with? Like, are there really, have you played with too many guys that are so good at moving to one side for middle? 
I don't know why I think that's, I think that's BS. I'll call it. Interesting perspective there, Koss. I get, I bet Josh is the full opposite. Perfect. Well, Garrett, I would like to start off that I, I did get one text. I don't know if anybody commented on the video, but somebody texted me. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll protect their name because I don't want to stop getting these text messages. It makes me think people actually listen to the show. We need that. That's the only I missed we the get. show. Sean is fantastic. Glad to see he's killing it. So it was more compliments on the guest than the actual show. But thanks for Sean McKay for coming on the show. <laughs> I think, Garrett, you got to divide it offense and defense. I, my basic principle for defense is you got to take away the knowns. If we know Garrett's going to get a lot of balls and we know he's going to hit to the zone, I'm going to set up my defense to take that away on offense. I think you need to go strength on strength or even though we know like everyone in the gym knows that like our certain player is going to get the ball. Like if you have like a, a flawed offense, maybe like Canada had with Gavin, you still set Gavin 40 times, even though everyone in the gym knows he's going to get the ball because that's your best chance to win. I don't think you go away and all of a sudden your M2 is like third in attempts because you don't want to overload your stud. I think on offense, you have to go where your bread is buttered and on defense as a coach, the goal is always to take away the primary. You never want to lose a game and be like, oh, well, they did exactly what they do and they beat us with it. You got to make them do something else. But on offense, I think you got to do what you do with the added layer of, and I learned this coaching at George Brown, Garrett, if you game plan really well as a coach and your guys can't execute it, you're still a bad coach. Like just because you identified what was going to beat this team. So you have to have a system that's flexible enough to play against most teams that you can pull from because there was a lot of times where in the OCAA, we knew exactly what the other team was going to do, Garrett, and we couldn't stop it. So that means we had to work harder in practice. The scouting isn't the hard part. The training to doing the stopping is the hard part. I love that you learned the lesson that if you make a good game plan and you can't execute that you're a bad coach. I mean, how did you learn that lesson? Oh, because you found it out yourself. I think we won in- eight games our first year, but then won 16 our second year. So I applied the learning really quickly, Garrett. Okay. A little self-bury, self-pump there. Um, yeah. Hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at me. I learned my lesson. Yeah. Okay. Well done. So, but I, I don't know, like... Andrew, it sounds like what you're saying is like, okay, we're going to go into a game and we're just going to be our best selves, offense and defense beat us type thing. Is that what you're saying? No, no. I, th- I think we're, me and Josh are more similar than we're away. I think probably more I disagree on the offensive side. Um, but I think on the defensive side, I think if you, again, train your team well enough to fill whatever, fill gaps, play alleys, whatever you whatever you want, like acronyms you want to use or words you want to use. If you are taking away their best angle to attack and you know, like if a guy's a puller or an external rotator, right? If you can scout that well enough on the other side, which we're, that's my point, right? Then your player should naturally be able to line up. Hey, I know the P1 on that side is just a huge puller, right? And we're going to line up our whole defense naturally because the pin center, the pin blocker is going to go outside. Everyone else is going to sway that way. Like, I don't think if you're well coached enough, and the high level's high enough, you can do that almost automatically. Whereas I think for offense, we'll probably disagree between me and Josh. I think it's, it's again, some of it's self-trained, right? But um, I think it depends on teams, honestly speaking. If you like the Gavin Schmidt example is a good one. Like if you have you have one guy that's just gonna drop, I don't know. It, or he hit it in Korea, it was like 70 balls a match. Something like that. Like it was like it was something stupid like that. If you have that, then all right, sure. But if you're playing with a well-rounded team, most national teams are. Um, yeah, I think you're probably looking to create space. Interesting. Okay, so you guys even disagree so nicely. You've got that how, level of How is Jared on the fence on this? Are you comparing your Western career, your coaching career, to crush volleyball? I feel like at crush, you guys just rolled the volleyballs out, and you were so confident and sure of yourselves. You didn't game plan. You just talked about having belief that you were going to get it done, and you knew you were going to get it done. You can't tell me you guys were talking technical, tactical in those timeouts. Hey, I'm not sitting on the fence. I'm just waiting to pounce in here and okay. pull an absolute May maneuver. This is a classic May maneuver to ask a question or to be asked a question and then immediately undermine the question going in a completely different direction. So I'm pulling that move right now. We're gonna, It's the May maneuver. I mean, it's a class patented. So yeah, do you game plan for your opponent's weaknesses? No, you play to your strengths. That's that like, duh, like obviously. But there's a layer to that that I think we're missing and a lot of teams miss. So it's like when I played at Western, you know, we set me a ton. We set Phil a ton. We set Scap a ton because those were the guys, you know, that's what it that's what it worked out to be. That's those are the guys that are going to put it away. But what I felt like we missed and we did do a better job of in Crush is like the distribution is one thing. But that's only one part of the game plan, right? You're telling your setter how many times you want to set the guy. But what's missing out of that is where we're going to set these people. 
right? So if I get 20 balls in a match and they're all high balls to the left side off digs versus I get 20 balls and they're all pipes. You don't send me once in the front row, you send me the same number of balls, but in the back row. That's a totally different look, right, for me. So I think the piece that we're missing is, is yeah, play to your strengths in terms of personnel and who you want to get the ball to, but you can't ignore what they're going to do. So let me give you an example. Waterloo, when I was uh, in university, had a massive block on the left side, like huge block two, two guys massive it was it was a challenge so any high ball situation i'm in tough what we didn't do enough of is run me inside run me pipe to free me up you're still setting the same guy but where's that game plan piece of you know what they're bringing and you're not adjusting to it and you're not planning to adjust to it because you got to work that stuff in your game so i i would say yeah like you gotta you gotta play to your strengths but you definitely have to adjust for their their strengths and their weaknesses, right? Like you got it. You, you have to come in with a plan, but it has to be flexible. Like uh, I won't say the coaches, but Garrett, when you played against Waterloo in the playoffs one year, there was a disagreement in the coaches room. And I won't say who was on whose side, but basically they wanted to run more of a time differential with like a middle quick and push the right sides. But the blockers on the left sides were you and uh, Screeton, right? Another big athlete, a good blocker, but they thought they could get more one-on-ones that way. But the vote swung the other way where it's like, oh, Sean McKay's small. Let's go over Sean McKay. And what they realized after that they all admitted what they wouldn't agree at the time is what is Western used to? They're used to Sean McKay getting attacked. So you guys would play your six back a certain way. Your one guy could get digs because all season long, everyone's like small setter, small setter, where they thought they had a mismatch, but they couldn't find enough evidence to sway the room and then they couldn't execute it. So I think after the first set, when they went at McKay and tried to overload him with these balls and said, oh, that's just Western being Western. You got to be able to pull the shoot. I don't think you can go through two or three sets going, oh, it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. And then like you lose thinking, oh, it, it didn't work. Right, but the problem there is they're forgetting who their best guys are. Like, where are you at your best? Are you at your best setting time differential out to the left side? Like, for, is that where they're at their best? Maybe. And I think that was probably a good decision then. But that's your point. I think you can find the same guy, right? Like, you can set in your Western offense where you had, what, you averaged five points a set, whatever it was, right? You can find different ways to get you the ball in different gaps to score. Right. I think that's all based on like what the other side's doing. Like we can get our best guy the ball, right? Assuming he can hit other things, right? I don't know. I think that all stems from knowing what the other side is. Yeah. Like, so are we all agreeing that your best players should have the most attempts every game? Like, is that, I think that's general terms that, and it's in different situations, but if you're, if you're the guy or the, or the best women, female player, excuse me, I don't want to use the term guy. If you're the best player on your team, you should be first or second in attempts, no matter who you're playing against. Right, like I think we all agree on that, right? But what we don't then, what we hear, right? Well, you hear this in the huddle all the time is like, oh, attack here. Like, oh, like if your best attacker is your right side, then why is the coach ever saying in a timeout, hey, small block on their setter, attack the line side there? It's like, well, who who's that for? What's the setter supposed to do with that? Right. Like that's that's a chat. And we hear that all the time, don't we? Like I've heard that so many times as a player. It's like, oh, why? You know, mismatch here. It's like, well, are we going to not? What does that mean? Are we going to not then set our bet? What if they're our best players not in the mismatch situation? What do we do then? I would say still go with your best player, but open them up, find the mismatch with them. And we miss that way too much, I think. Like under the professional level, is any team deep enough to win games on their fourth player? Like that's that's a pretty big drop off, right? Like if you're even as dominant as those Trinity teams were, you couldn't tell me a first year Brody Holfer was as good as Eric Lepke. So are you going to tell me that Brody's going to get it done in a mismatch situation? Like Brody now, don't get me wrong. Like we're talking about like a few years ago, like I'm trying to think of a U sports team where like the fourth or like the, the fourth attacker was good enough to be the primary. And I don't think we've ever seen that. Or maybe it's third because maybe it's the middle. I don't know. But like when we talk about like, oh, there's a mismatch here and we got to run more middle. It's like, well, the middles are never going to get the most attempts. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think back to those Mac teams with like Coker and Danny and Jason and Mar. Like that team I can see is like the one where you maybe have three guys that can put that ball away. But if Coppers or Richards got more attempts than Mar, wouldn't you look a little funny and be like, oh, that's that's odd. 
Like I, Danny was a dominant middle and deserved a lot of touches there. But if like McCarthy had more than Mar and Danny, then you're kind of like, oh, that was a weird night. I don't know. I'm trying to think. And maybe there's coaches laughing at me like, oh, this is a good example. But I just don't see a situation ever where Garrett and Scap at Western should have le- less attempts than like somebody else. No matter. And, and everybody in the gym knows that was going to happen. But like, would, would your M2 ever have to lead in kills? If they do, I think we're in trouble that night. Yeah, shout out to Luke um, Sim, who was our M2 for years. <laughs> if he ever led the game and said we were in huge trouble, absolutely zinger. Um, yeah, we couldn't we couldn't carry the load like that. But so I think the offense is an is an easy one to point out and say, yeah, like that one's obvious, right? You got to get your best player the ball. And the missing piece there is we don't ever often open them up, like get my best player the ball, but get them inside, get them pipe, get them in a different spot. We don't do that a lot. But we all agree that we want our best player to have the most sets. But on defense, how often do we do this where we say something like this on our side? Like how many times do we ask a middle to like, hey, prioritize this when maybe they're not that great at that and like it's not that important. So, for example, say they have a a big left side guy. They don't set a ton of middle. Like we never say this. We never say to a middle, hey, just go. Like just just go. Like don't even just go. Like we know you're if you're one on one with this middle, you're not gonna just go. Cause we know you, you know, like this is gonna put you in the best position to succeed. Forget them. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't often do that. I don't think we often see it as much on the men's team. I'll give credit to the U of T women's team when they won nationals. If you go back and you know some women on that team, if you have the educated eye, they did it. And you can see their middles and their six back, especially on the off passes. They would like Kaylee Kirkshank would take a step. And she told me this came from like, well, they have Vincenzo and Christine Drakeage as their coaches. Like they had a lot of advanced data, but Garrett, they would live this where if it was an off pass, like say the pass gets pushed to the four side, you would see the middle already go close on the right side. And they were okay if they switched the flow and somehow forced a right side or a pipe, the middle didn't get like their lunch eaten for that. They were okay with like the probability and percentages. So they would go early and they won a national championship doing that. So maybe we should do that because middles really hard and if you're in a pure read the whole time versus can the setter even set the long wall or what's their tendency on a broken pass i think middle should get a little bit more uh permission to kind of close those gap situations versus treating everything neutral in the middle and reacting versus okay it's a bad set or bad pass excuse me garrett's in the front row let's just go close to garrett yeah yeah like is anybody gonna call us out for being like what like we're right now calling out the read the read block in the middle like, is anybody sitting there at home going like, you idiots, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you've got to like, you know, you got to read, you know, you got to do these things. But like, I don't know, at the same time, like, let's play to our strengths. Where are we better? I, I don't know that. Have I ever done that with my team? No, I, I, I should do it more. Like, just go like, like triple their left side. Like, go and just like, I'm at, like, let's follow this to the extreme. Let's commit to what we're saying. If you are game planning for them, if you're the type on defense, you said this, Josh, you're game planning for them. You know their options. Take away the known. Send the triple, buddy, every time. <laughs> on a two-pass or lower, maybe. I don't think you can play this the whole in game system, like that. Josh. In system, Josh. In system. Send the triple, buddy. Triple on the middle. We're protecting middle. Go triple on the middle, man. You know what? Get, like. There are some leagues you could do that. Like, I think 16U and under, you could automatically do that. I think in the OCAA, Pat Johnson deserves a lot of credit for this. They don't block C-balls no matter who's hitting it. And sure, they give up a couple, but Pat says the social anxiety you have after you hit one out of bounds and the whole gym goes, oh, nobody, oh. Like, that folds up players in a hurry where, like, uh, I, I don't even think it's a secret. If you're playing Fanshawe, they're, they're going to stay down on C-ball. So there are some times to do it, Garrett, but I don't think the whole game, you just go stand in front of Evan Filardo because I still think Mitch Neward and the other guys they have are good enough to tee off on balls on a late one-on-one right but like again we just said we all agree the best players should get the most sets so like why why not oh this is gutsy maybe you have to do it like why are you not doing it you you just said you both just said best players gotta get the most sets so why are we ever read blocking in a situation where their best attackers in the front row ever okay if there's ever listeners doing this and somebody tries it i want clips of like a no block on the m2 and they get dug like i want people to like i don't know how you do it garrett i want screen recordings i want it sent to my email i want i want proof of this that it's working because i think it is gonna work have we just cracked volleyball 
Because to PJ's point, if you're the if let's use a wild example, you stay down on the P2 and they get dug. What trust does the setter still have in them? What's their social anxiety? They're like, oh, I'm I'm playing a high level of volleyball and they stayed down and dug me. Like, I think there's a social ripple effect that goes through there that like, yeah, I, I think this could pay off. I, I, I think well, it's I've, I've you. Sorry, Garrett. I think it's expedited when it's the last point of the match. Right. Or last five, whenever you get the twenties. Right. I think it's almost like I remember Vinny well, on that point. I remember Vinny yelling this like mid play, like when the girls were playing back in the day, he'd be like, after a pass goes up, the pass is like a one 1919, it'd be yelling things in Italian, whatever it was just to get calls. I think, I think even more so, I think you're taking gambles at that point. Yeah. It's hard to get stops also. if you're trying to guard everybody, but if we just have to stop two people, it becomes a lot easier. Here's where it also plays out, Josh. You got somebody who who tips ever put somebody right there, like park them right in the spot, exactly in the pocket. Now, I know this peeling off, moving. Right. No, no, you go right there. You don't move. You like we never do that. Somebody hits only cross. Let's slide everybody that way. Get over there. Like we we never really like. It is funny now you're thinking about like as our sport we only half commit to things really. I'll get on board the with game the plan, cross oh, one. We want to get it all. I'm not getting on board with the tip coverage because I think you're putting somebody's life in harm's way. The way some of these men and women are hitting the ball in U sports, they're in a danger zone. You're in the splash zone if you're doing that. Okay, no, no, you stand immediately behind the block. You're gonna volley <laughs> the tip. Like you're you're gonna volley the tip if it comes over because that's how committed you are to not giving up the tip. Like, gosh. I mean, let's put our money where our mouth is if we really think this stuff. And if people say, oh, this is baloney, you can't do it at a high level. I, I coach at York. And when we played Brock, we played like a 34, 32 uh, fifth set. Like it was wild. But Garrett, your tip coverage thing, that would have sped the game up because I can't tell you how many times it was like, oh, we're going to win. We're going to win. Oh, I'm tipping just over the block. Like a lot of brave players became ball control guys near the end where maybe we should have all just crashed. Yeah. got beat by well, a one, lot of tips. One five. One person goes in there and crashes and volleys the tip. Imagine this play. You're so committed to the tip. Oh my gosh. You're so committed to the tip. You go in and you stand there. The tip comes, you volley set somebody. Like a pipe or something. Like you wanna score points? That there's, there's points on the table waiting there for you. And then you yell through the net, don't ever tip against us again. See what happens. <laughs> Yeah, but then you gotta go back to the next one. Like you gotta go back to the spot the next one. You, you, I mean, you can't not after that. Absolutely. Well, do you guys remember that video? That reminded me of uh, Chris Tao doing that in Rochester. That Pacman video from like ten. It was maybe over ten years ago now. There's a video of Chris Tao. Like, I remember their coach telling them that the guy serving lollipops. I think it's almost worse than a serve, right? And he stood up and set left side off the serve, off the float serve. And he scored down the line. I remember my old roommate, Chris, did that. And it was like the most like F you to this team sucks, right? Like he served short, believe it or not, too, on that float, sets left side, bounced down the line. Let's see if we can pull it up. I, I, re I respect that maneuver, and I'm glad you brought it up, Andrew. The short serve. Nobody ever does it. Ever. Have you seen a short serve this year? No, like just some disguise ones. No, I haven't seen like the shorty shorty. There's some pretty gifted servers. Like I know I kind of ripped on Brody in his first year saying he wasn't good as Eric Lepke. The control he has on a spin serve to move the pass there short deep. But I haven't seen the water fountain type path, Garrett, that we're like obviously trying to get in the center or the middle's way so they can fumble this. I, I haven't seen that this season, no. Yeah, like there you go. You're like any coach who's going to say, yeah, we're, we're playing to – our we're, 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 we're game planning them. Oh, we've analyzed their weaknesses and we found an exploit and never short serves is, is full of it. it. It has no idea what they're doing. I'm calling you out. If you're listening and you don't do that, you're you're wrong. That'd be an interesting one. Uh, we had Nick Hoga on the podcast and he talked about like serving zones. And the one that TJ told their servers to always focus on is the line to line that stays behind the setter and the pass starts. So serving from your five to one. I'm thinking a five to two would annoy me so much as a setter, because if you fumble that pass, they're basically like p pushing the ball into you. Right. Absolutely. Like it's so close to the setter. They're like trying to stay out of the way, like trying to make that pass good is so hard. If you can serve short to two. Like the whole world opens up for you then. 
if you pass it low, it's into you. If you pass it high, the setter has to like run around the ball and try to find their vision and their whole orientation. Style. I think we just changed the game, Garrett. Now every club team listening should be practicing their five to two short serve. Yeah, well, I, you know what? I started this segment thinking that these two guys, we'd have some disagreements, and we did. But it turns out that I've swayed everybody and convinced everybody to get on my side with this and check themselves when they're talking about this game plan. So I appreciate you guys being great sports about this and just, you know, going along with all the stuff that I've been saying. So it, there's never a time where U of T, Evan Florida, is not going to lead in attempts? Is that what we just said? You have to give your best player all the attempts? Even if we now, even if the team who plays in this weekend just goes triple block on Evan the whole way, are we still giving him the volume? Great question. Great question, Josh. <laughs> Absolutely great question. That will real. That's really the question. So are, how much do we believe that your best player should get the most sets? I'm in for it. I think so. I think you. I think Andrew's you in for it. it. If it's my boy EF EF seven, whatever Evans nickname he calls himself, I'm good with that. I'm good. With you that. know what? If they're gonna do that and stack the triple, I would double down and set that player even more than normal. <laughs> Just tie, like, tie around the fully commit the to the game plan. <laughs> I think I would fold up, and if they're gonna like start the right side and middle in front of Evan and have their left side block middle, I'd be like, guys, we gotta switch the flow. We gotta set middle, or we gotta set more like C ball or right side. I think I would like fall for the trap and be like, oh, they're gonna try to take Evan out. We're so deep, we can do other things. Where, yeah, you would fool me into not setting my best player, but I think, I think the U of T right side can get it done with a late one on one block. Yeah, I mean, like that. That is how we turn volleyball into a more interesting strategic game. I think is by like doing crap like that. Cause then the pressure's on you as a coach to be like, okay, don't, don't, don't set our best guy go out here and, and for the purposes of winning. So I'm, I'm here for it. Alrighty. Well, comment <laughs> down below. Let us know what you think. And Andrew, you're going to come back retroactively and comment down below and just bury all of us and be like, we were, you're, you're I think back. we all are. When we all go back to listen to this, we're going to be like, I can't believe I said that. That's not how I feel at all. This is stupid. <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> No, I'll double down right now. I'm fully committed to everything I've said. So, so if you Douglas is going to throw up the automatic triple. Like, you know, when you screen somebody to serve, your three guys are just going to stay there. They're just going to stay in front of the left side. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, yeah, let's go. Like, if we're committed, <laughs> let's commit fully. Maybe talk, hey, if you right? ever run a commit block in the middle, commit all three guys. <laughs> Do it. You're going to have one guy commit, put the three guys on it. Anyway. All right. Comment down below. Tell us how much idiots we are um, or whether you agree with us and what you want to see more of. So let's move on because that went on longer than I thought. I guess that was kind of fun. But let's get to everybody's favorite segment, fan favorite segment every week. I hope you're ready for this, Andrew. It's Players and Clowns of the Week. So let's get to it. Who's starting here? Who's ready to go? You feeling good about it, Josh? You want to give some love out into the world? I feel pretty good, but as I announced this player who definitely deserves it for the week, I do have some eligibility questions. Uh-oh. So, Fraser Valley, the women, are an absolute wagon of a team. Totally streaking here, Garrett. They've won nine matches in a row. And a big part of that is an athlete named uh, Gabriella. Her, her married name is Bimond. I think her her maiden name is uh, Atea. So anyways, awesome player. Like she got 19 kills the first night against Thompson Rivers, 15 kills on 26 attempts the second night. Like Fraser Valley's totally streaking. She's a big part of it. Yes, awesome. Awesome. Good job by Gabriella. I'm looking into her profile. So she played at UBC. Uh, she was a red shirt one year and then uh, obviously played. So she was a part of some national championship winning teams in, in 17 and 19. Then she went on to play pro, but now she's back in university. Really cool story. She's playing with her siblings. So there's three of these sisters on, on the squad here at Fraser Valley. But I was under the understanding that if you play professional indoor, does that not count as a year of eligibility? Or do you get your five years of university no matter what you do? Like she's been gone and then came back to U sports, which is a cool story to play with her siblings. I can think of examples that I thought went overseas. I don't know how legit the league was, but came back and played. Like there's one like, girl at U of T. Like she was in Salzburg, so she played in Austria and she played in France B. So I'm curious, did her like two or three years at UBC, I guess it'd be three years at UBC and then two years of pro, does that not your five? Do you get to play more on top of that? Dude, I don't know. Like, aren't you the rules guy? 
it makes me wonder how many people have played in like Denmark, Austria, like lower leagues that we should be calling to come back to you sports. <laughs> are you, are you giving a player of the week and then potentially calling them out for eligibility issues? No, she totally wins player of the week based on her merits of points. But when I was reading her profile and I saw that she's already played pro, I was like, wait a second. I thought pro counted as years of eligibility. So I'm not questioning Frazier Valley and I'm not questioning this athlete. I'm just saying I thought as soon as you left school to go play pro, those years counted. Well, like, what does pro mean? Because that's very hard to find, right? Because in the four years I was at university, I played in FIBB tournaments. Is that pro? Different discipline. Maybe because the NCAA calls that a different discipline. You can play indoor and then you can go play beach. Well, why do we care about what the NCAA thinks, Josh? Like, why do we care about that right now? I was just trying to use a league that's dealt with that issue of beach volleyball versus indoor so volleyball. For them, for sure, it's a year. Uh, yeah, like there's been a ton of athletes who play like they're four. You only get four in the NCAA, but they play four of indoor and then they'll do a post grad and they get one more to play beach. Oh, OK. They don't get like eight years of eligibility, although it didn't J.R. Smith play college basketball. And now he's playing golf. Like, I think if you switch sports, you technically get more years. Yeah. Like, should we all just go back and try to get on a team for I don't know. No, no, no. Some... That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we should be recruiting the people who played pro and then come back to start their lives and they can help York win a championship. <laughs> OK, so this has turned into just a recruitment push from Josh on his player of the week. So now I just turn into, hey, come back to York if you played pro. Yes. Now that we know it's legal. Well, well we better cut it off before anybody else is is bamboozled. And, and her, her siblings, that. Lauren and Talia, came from Douglas College. So obviously, you know. Fan favorites there, you know, go Douglas. I, I guess. I don't know. I heard their assistant coaching staff is just a, a just a so many guys on that absolutely staff. Top but anyway, sorry, Garrett, to get us off track. But yes, Gabrielle, player of the week, absolutely killing it. Fraser Valley's crushing it. But I'm still curious how you're allowed to be a professional athlete and then come back to an, an amateur league. The nation's best are coming to Hamilton. The Marauders are proud to host the 2023 U Sports Men's Volleyball National Championship and will welcome the top men's volleyball teams in Canada to McMaster University. Eight teams, 11 games, and only one champion. Secure your spot now and be there to catch all of the action. Your seat awaits. Tickets are available at marauders.ca slash tickets. Yep, Josh, always interested in the technicalities. Well, why don't we do some research and come back and actually bring some knowledge to the show instead of just asking questions all the time? Actually, that'll probably never change. I, I thought you run a volleyball podcast. You might know the answer, Garrett. That's why. I yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I thought the same thing about you. So, I mean, what are we going to do? Comment down below. Help us out. Send us a text and let us know. <laughs> That's usually people, us. This is just us trying to figure out how the world of volleyball works. And you all are on this journey with us. So, all right. Andrew, are you ready or you want me to go? You want some more time? Uh, I definitely have my clowns. I have to think about. I don't know. My my my. You think my, about player of the week because the player we have to establish some love before we tear people down. So I'll go and you think about it. So my player of the week and Josh, I'm not sure if you're gonna love or hate this. Andrew, I think you're not gonna like this. My my player of the week is Western's administration, Western University's athletics department, and I'll tell you why because they've implemented such an awesome setup. I'm jealous I didn't have it when I was there playing. So in Alumni Hall, where they play their games, it is a big stage, right? It's where they do convocation. There's big curtains, like it's a big stage. Kind of, the, they play it and then there's huge like um, seats and, and stands in the back. It's like, a, it's like a theater. So what they've done, Josh, I don't know if you know this, but they've now added a bar. They've put a bar Licensed, you can buy alcohol on the stage now. So you can sit in the stands and just have a relaxed experience, or on the other side of the gym, you can go in there and buy booze. So what ends up happening is for Friday and Saturday night games, you just get the whole goon squad in there having beers, getting drunk, and chirping hard, which is something Western never had. Now they have people directly behind the bench chirping in your ear, full-on intensity, and I'm here for it. Western, it's about time we got some edge over there in Alumni Hall, and that could end the curse, Josh, just by that move right there. 
player. Well, ability. one, I see this as a business opportunity. If anybody wants a, a Sharp Cuts Reverse the Curse t-shirt, they'll be available next year, or excuse me, next week for the Mustangs here. But two, how is this not a clown move? You're telling me the Western fan base, which was already not very nice people sometimes, now we're going to liquor them up and encourage them to talk to the players? We have a code of conduct for this exact reason. It, it absolutely is a clown move, and I debated thoroughly whether to make it a player of the week or a clown of the week and i decided to end on player of the week because i really like it so, so i'm not against the fan experience and making it somewhere people want to be i just hope that the people serving are like top tier like um smart smart serve, serve certified smart serve, level certified. five ten whatever the highest level smart service or maybe yeah. like two limit per customer because i can see a lot of people abusing this and like really getting too personal i think with some of the chirps it's okay to support your team and help them win it's not okay to get personal and like the level of personal some of the worst i've heard from our guys is like they like creep your instagram and figure out like your your partner's name or like if you're married or if you have like something going on like uh, that that stuff crosses the line for me when you start like getting real personal I fully agree. And it happened this past weekend and they were getting personal. And they, it was your exact nightmares are coming true, Josh. That's exactly what's happened. And now Western is hostile at home. It's not a pleasant playing experience with a nice stands where people are far away. You can't hear them. They're right behind you. And I'm here for it, Western. Absolutely. Let's go. Mustangs reverse the curse. T-shirts available next week. Sharp cuts. Absolutely. I support it. Okay. Andrew, the time has come. You gotta give some love out if you're gonna call somebody up. So who you got Did, for player of the week? Are you only OUA? Or you sports? No, we're I, I just happened to be that we were today, but you go wherever you want. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go a little off the wall here, but uh Cota Fava from Italy, the lefty defender, Nicola's defender, I know. We're gonna switch into beach here, but I think he, and it's easy to have like a one shot kind of one year wonder where you're a legitimate player. This guy came in the world tour finals, right? Had played Mullen Sorum twice to three. They ended up coming third. They beat Brower Musen, destroyed Victor, Victor, it was like Victor Felipe and Renato, right? These guys are legit, right? Nikola, we know that's, that's no surprise, but you don't know about the defender. He's got one of the whippiest arms in the league. He's I think 23 or 24 max. I know Josh will always say, Oh, that's the age for medals and stuff. That's always a response for that age, but don't worry about Josh, but don't worry about how many times, <laughs> <It sucks. laughs> but uh, no, for how many, for how many experience he's had on the tour, to now he's coming out and consistently getting that placement. I, I think you got to give him some love. So, so I'm going with the uh, same Copa Flava. I mean, congrats. And I mean, Italy on the men's side is hot right now. Italy men's beach is hot right now. And I'm jealous. Like why couldn't it have been Canada? There's no reason like five years ago, well, that's not true. There was a period in there where Nikolai and Lupo weren't doing so well. Rangiri Cambrula broke up. Now they're back together where you're like, ah, Italy's not really in it. Now they're back. And that could have exactly been Canada, Josh. And it's your fault. So congrats to Italy for dominating us. And Josh, what the hell, man? Like, come on, get it together. If they can do it, why can't we? That's that's a perfect example. If they can do it, why can't we? Shout out to them. I think the the easier, the lower hanging fruit would be Mullen Sorum absolutely walked through World Tour Finals. And Garrett, in the spirit of this show, what we said for years is we cannot get used to this. We are seeing two of the greatest athletes of all time. We need to respect it. We need to shout it out. We're almost used to it, where at least they went to three a couple times this tournament, where they weren't like delaying a total beatdown. But we cannot get used to how good the Stormway team is. And that's my rebuttal to you guys thinking Italy's so great and better than Canada. I guess we'll see, guys. I guess we'll see. Yeah, but we're bored of Molensorum. Enough of these guys. They're Norwegian. They're nice guys. They're dominant. What's interesting there? Like, where's the... Wait, come on. They're not Canadian. So why, why do we care? And and just on my earlier point, I, I have a source. It's totally legal. You can play pro and go back to U Sports. So uh, if there was any rumors that I was starting, that Gabrielle's not eligible. She's 100% eligible. She's going to continue to get 20 points a game. Fraser Valley, wagon, hop on the wagon. We should have shirts made for them too. Look at that immediate fact-checking himself mid-episode. I felt bad because you're like, are you saying we should check her eligibility? No, I'm not starting a witch hunt. I'm saying she had a great weekend. She's my player of the week. And then I read her profile and I was kind of like, this is weird. She's been in new sports since 2017, but that's because she left to go play pro. And now she's back to play with her two little sisters. What a great story. They should make a movie about this. 
Okay, great, but good for you as well. I'm giving you a compliment, Josh, and you're arguing with me. Okay? Well, that's because I this think there was the a little underlying, like, uh, okay? I wasn't prepared. This I doesn't work. research, you know. You're just <laughs> expecting that I, I'm going to chirp you every time, but I'm trying to say, hey, good for you for fact-checking. But you know what? Forget you and your fact-checking. It's okay? like that scene from Talladega Nights. I don't really know your angle, so I'm going to keep talking tough until I figure you yes. out. <laughs> yes, that's you and me to a T. Okay, let's move on. Clowns of the week. You know, I'm going to go first because I don't feel good about it. Like, I, I I need to preface this. So, Josh, don't go back and cut this later and be like, oh, look at Garrett. What what an ass he is. Look at him. He's, but I, I don't feel good about this. But, you know, we got to we, we're we got to keep our journalistic integrity here intact and and go. So I got to give clown of the week to Sarah Pavin and Sophie Bukovic. I, I feel bad about it. I really feel bad about it. But I gave it to the men's indoor team. When they went two and ten, you did. and everybody gave me heat, but hey, we had some people saying, "Hey, no, you got to keep a high standard." And you know, I know, I know, Sarah and Sophie are going to bounce back. They're going to be fine. They're going to come back hungry, ready to go. But yeah, going out there and not getting the result you wanted at the beach, at the Pro Beach Tour Finals, the first one ever, and we didn't have a great showing. So I feel for them. I apologize for it, but. Yeah, it's a tough, tough result to go out and get. And so that's that's clown of the week. I feel bad about it. But do I have to do it? Should I have not done it? I don't know. I, I, I'm torn with this one. I think the listeners are going to respect you for standing up and, you know, not not tiptoeing around this. It's a insanely hard tournament to start a new partnership. I mean, they were behind the eight ball being like a, a new team there because it was what top eight and two wild cards and they were a wild card team. So. Yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, Garrett. I will say they, they played a lot of competitive matches. They didn't lay down, unlike uh, the Grimalds, who I think got single-digit in one set anyways. But at least, they, they I guess, they won a match. So maybe they're not your clown of the week. But, uh, yeah, I, I respect it, Garrett. But uh, we, we know this won't age well. They're going to bounce back. Yeah, should we should should we have gone and given them a preemptive player of the week for when this airs and they like bounce back and come in and dominate a tournament? Like, we could have done that because, like, then we would like, but then we would look terrible if we were wrong. Because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, and it's maybe already happened. They'll have a top five finish by the time this airs. And and fun fact, I don't know if Sarah Pavin's ever lost four games in a row at anything. This is new territory for all of us. You know that's not going to go over well. So I I hope that uh, I hope that they bounce back well. But gosh, yeah, I feel bad about it. Clown of the week, just the name, Clown of the Week. It just it cuts you. It's a sharp cut on that. But yeah, tough result. Tough result. I know they battled. They got a few set wins, but yeah, tough turning. Well, how, many, how many weeks did they actually get training together, though? Unclear. Yeah, outside? Job. Outside would be less than a month for sure. Uh, they were at Downsview kind of putting in time just before the holiday break there. But uh, outside, I don't think they were. And plus the new ball situation that I've already mentioned about and stuff like that. So, yeah, they were in tough. I'm not sure if they'll listen to this or not, but if they are, definitely come in here and tell me why I'm an idiot. Like, come, yeah, like, we, well, like, please let us know. But, uh, yeah. I'll That's take the that thing story. about sharp cuts is we have an open door that if we make fun of somebody, I'm still waiting for somebody from the Western men's team to come on and defend. Not only are you serving alcohol to a bunch of rowdy people to begin with, but uh, Garrett basically called you frauds. So uh, you should come on the show and frauds. discuss it. Well, now I <laughs> called them frauds. This is getting worse every time you tell the story, Josh. Okay, they're You're cursed. Trying to sorry, sorry. I chose the wrong word. They're cursed. <laughs> I should have given a clown of the week to the York Lions men's volleyball assistant coaching staff for just a terrible year. How about that? There was a moment that was a pretty cloud move that could have went bad. Uh, coach wanted a sub. We uh, vetoed him and told him not. You know, when you bring in your serving sub, we thought we could get one more time around. We, we didn't get around, so he was pretty upset. But uh, we won the match. You vetoed so I'll, I'll the head coach on a serving sub. And yeah. did and it were, and, okay, you know what? I, I should have done my research and had that in the bank to bury you. But Took I a did. risk. Didn't pay off. They don't make movies about that. They don't make movies about the people who try and fail, you know? That's so true. So speaking of trying and failing, why don't you give us your clown of the week? Mine is so incredibly petty, but it needs to go on the internet. It needs to be told, Garrett. U Sports top 10, we've, we've, we've established. This thing is not legit. This is a complete clown move. But here's a fun fact, Garrett. Queens is eight and six. They're ranked seventh in the nation. Guess where they're ranked in the OUA? 
Seventh. How can you be the seventh best team in the nation when you're the seventh best team in your conference? And you might say, oh, it's based on ELO and put your nerd glasses on and tell me how, oh, they just beat Windsor, so therefore they must be good. They've split with U of T. Check the the results. They've lost to the York Lions, who I don't see on the ranking. So if they're so good that they beat Windsor, like Western loses two matches to Western, and apparently they're like into space now. They're off the top 10 for no good reason. Like there's only two Ontario teams on this whole list. Mac, who's legit undefeated so far, uh, and Queens, the seventh best team in the province, is now the seventh best team in the nation. Give your wait, head a shake. Wait, wait, wait. There's two teams on the top ten from Ontario. Yes. Mac and Queens. Yes. No, you have Queens is no Windsor, no Nipissing. Ranked seventh in Ontario. If the playoffs started today, they would be the seventh place team. Yeah. They've lost to York. They've lost to TMU. Like, I'm sure, yes, you beat Windsor, and that shoots you up the ELO, whatever results. But, uh, yeah, the proof's in the pudding here, guys. Like, let's. Well, no, I, I mean, I think we've got to applaud. This is a player of the week for the top 10. Whoever's calibrating this is definitely getting it right. Like, I, mean, I feel like this top 10 teams. exists just to annoy me. Like, I feel like it's that well established that, like, everyone agrees with, like, the top five because it's Alberta, who's really strong. And I think they lost one of the early games of the year and then been streaking Mac, Sherbrooke, Trinity and Mount Royal, who's everybody's new favorite team. But then the rest just keep shuffling. And I think it's just designed to like trigger me. Did Sean McKay and the Saskatchewan boys make it on there? Uh, they're eighth with a respectable 12 and six. Now, I don't know if Elo factors in what Sean admitted on this show where he's got a couple big wins against teams who didn't have their guys. Like he he'll admit when they beat Trinity, Trinity wasn't at their best. Yeah, but how's the ELO going to calculate that? No way. The ELO quotient or whatever. Let's get the sharp cuts quotient back, Josh. We've talked about this before. And honestly, I think we should double down and support the top 10 and really say what's great about it. Because really, if you're going to pick two teams from Ontario to put on the top 10, what two better teams to pick than Mac and Queens, right? No one else is worth anything, right? If we're talking championships in the last 10 years, I think those are the only two teams that have done it. But if we're looking at this season, Garrett, they're eight and six. They are the seventh ranked team in their conference. How can they be the seventh ranked team in the nation? Because of math, Josh, like I know you're you're a numbers guy. You should understand how how the math will split spit that out. Like now I sound like an idiot defending an undefensible position, right? Like it just looks just very stupid. But I support it. Good good for them. Good for them for having the courage to publish that. And U of T definitely doesn't deserve to be on there, right? U of T should never yeah. be on there, right, Andrew? Okay. Like never. Stop this. Yeah. So I we had a tough weekend. That's totally fine. That happens. Yeah, However, like if you lose to Western, you're not getting on the top ten. <laughs> but Western can't be on the top ten either. They're just the gatekeeper of the top ten. If you lose, then like Yeah. Yeah. Does, yeah, absolutely. Does low count the beer sales of rowdy fans, though. That's the question. They does should. That, does that count? They the should. Point? I'll tell you, the sharp cuts quotient does count beer sales. <laughs> so the top ten right now, Western's got to be number one because those beer sales. I mean, that's really the only reason. So, Josh, I mean, clown of the week to you for going to the low hanging fruit of the U uh, Sports top ten. Um, comment down below. Let us know how much you love us talking about that topic, and let's please move on. Well, actually, I do have one more point, Garrett. I don't know if you know how the spots are being awarded for nationals, but what actually irks me even more now is that only two Ontario teams are in the top 10. They get three bids for nationals. So now you're telling me that nationals is so watered down that it's not even the best eight teams in the country. It's the it's the second, seventh, and probably 14th best team in the country who are going to get bids into nationals. Like, this is this is ridiculous. It's bananas. I I disagree. I think that's absolutely how you'd want it. You'd have you want to get the worst teams possible in the final tournament and you want your top 10 to reflect that. I think that's what you want if you're a professional league, right? Professional league. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like you want the worst teams in it at the end, right? I will say it is a professional league and I think it is professional. And like you were talking details about live streaming or getting, you know, uh, alcohol sales in, in places. So people want to treat this like a, a CHL game or they want it to be like an evening out and stuff. I think that stuff is professional. My biggest beef with the U sports is just the top 10 rankings. That's my biggest problem with it. It's not like the actual level of play or the people who work there or the fan experience. It's just this freaking top 10 list that comes out every week and there's always like four teams in the wrong spot do you, do you think they do that just for like the exposure so we talk about it on the show maybe 
Well, like people like and retweet and they comment on it and they say, hey, look at this and get and fire up fan like teams to get pissed. And they're like, oh, and then everybody looks, it gets eyeballs on it. Somebody follows the thing, you know, like that sort of thing. It's like the Starbucks marketing thing where they misspell people's names. So they take a picture of it and send it to people and go, oh, look, oh, they spelled my name wrong. Yeah, this is it's been done. It's been done, Gary. How about we have a legit list if we're going to be a legit sport? You think they no. do this with like with the uh, men's and women's basketball or, or football? You think they fumble the top 10 list? Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely they do, right? I mean, get the worst list out there possible every time, right? Why strive for greatness? You know what? I'm going to clip this when they finally put Western in the top 10, and then I'm going to get on board with you saying this is just to trigger people. This is the worst list possible. This is... Absolutely. And and I'll double down. I'll double you know what, down. Western? We need more Western people on the show. Jackson Beer, come defend your alumni. Blake Fenwick, come on the show. There's got to be a purple pony, a pony coming on the show pretty quick. What do we need to defend West? If I did, like, what are you talking about? Like, you'd make me some West. I went to the school. Like, like, yeah, man, I think it's you. You're trying to gaslight me, and it's working. Let's move on before something, something gets said that's not good. Andrew, you got to have a clown of the week. Who you got? Is it Josh? Because he's pissing me off. <laughs> No, it's not Josh. I do have to say one more thing about OUA volleyball. I don't know if we're going to touch this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Garrett. But the I'm scheduling is probably the you. worst schedule I've seen in a very long time. I know I know how they've changed the whole, now it's one league again. Well, explain to me why you can't play everybody at least once. How does Windsor grow through the whole season not playing Mac once? How does that happen? Tell me. They, they don't? They don't. They don't play them once throughout this whole year. So they could, in theory, go this whole time and then not play them, right? And they could be OUA champions, the team that went, well, I guess, I'd, they, Mac would have to lose to Queens or something in the semis or UFT. But like, how, how does that happen when you have a, a – how many games is it now, Josh, where did they change to? Uh, I think – are we not up to, like, 18? And I think uh, Guelph won't play the two nationally ranked teams. They don't play Mac, and I'm pretty sure they don't play Queens. Yeah. Like, how, how does that balance out? to make it competitive and that I can't imagine that doesn't screw up the score. I think Windsor, not, not, not slandering my guys at Windsor, love Stephen Abrams, Zach Albert, all those boys. However, they didn't play anybody in the first half and they were undefeated going in, right? Like, it, I don't know. They're, it just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, I have to disagree. I think uh, if you're Windsor, you're going, this is perfect. Like <laughs> this is the schedule yeah, yeah. you want. So yeah. Why complain? So it's 20 games. And there's 13 teams in the league. But, but you should be able to play everybody once. That's that. That's my, I know they're doing this whole home and away thing, right? But I think, and Western's not even the farthest one. Or sorry, not Western. Mac isn't, Mac's pretty central. It's like everyone should have to play everybody at least once throughout this thing. But sorry. It is not, really you're, sorry, it's not even a home and home because at York, we have the best schedule ever. We haven't had to take a road trip outside the GTA. I think one of our furthest trips is either Trent or Guelph or Brock. Like, I think we're an hour each way. We didn't have to go to Nipissing, Windsor, Queens. Like, it's, uh, we didn't go to RMC. Like, yeah, they came to us. Like, it, it's been pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so stupid. Like, I, I, I when I saw that, I made absolutely no sense to me. But sorry, my clown of the week. Also going back to Doha, right? Uh, Sharif and Ahmed. I, I think for a team that was the one team that could always compete with Wollensorm, like we were saying, and they did they beat them once last year too? I mean, the semis, I think, was it? No, it wasn't on the Strava. It was some, and, but again, they were the team that either came second, right? Or won when they when Wollensorm weren't there, right? How do you go? Again, Grimalts are no shrubs, don't get me wrong, but they beat the only team they beat in that tournament was Esteban and Marco. Right, they lose to Rangeri and Karimbula. They didn't score more than 18 points than anybody else in the tournament. They lost to Andre and George 15 16, and they lost to Loziak and Brill 18 17. And how do you do that? What what happened? So I, I'm, I'm calling them out. I'm hope, I hope they prove me wrong. I like their game, but I'm starting to think that they, they're starting to get figured out because I, I haven't seen this big of a crack in their armor. Again, the Olympics, I know they didn't, they didn't perform that well. There, they ended up doing well in the end of it, but they had some shaky moments as well. But I don't know. I, I think this might be the fall of, of that team, unfortunately. I mean, if it is, you called it here first. So, I mean, yeah, I support I support calling out people for clown moves if they don't get the wins that they should, for sure. But, I mean, you know what it's like. Like, you go, you play with somebody for long enough, like, you know, inevitably these things kind of happen. Like, maybe, I don't know, you, you, like, I don't know, any sort of relationship. You have issues, you, you know, stuff comes up, and, like, you got to play the World Tour Finals in January. 
of the last year, like no off season, basically. It's like, I don't know that maybe that stuff happens, right? Like maybe they're having some relationship troubles. Maybe they need counseling. Maybe. I don't know. I'm they thinking should go on sharp the- cuts and we can Maybe help them. Go on sharp cuts. We could really air them out. Give us some tips. Uh, Garrett, just to boost your point earlier, did you know that Western's seven and two at home and two and four on the road? So if any athletic directors out there thinking, oh, I don't want that kind of establishment. I don't want that kind of atmosphere in my gym. Can't argue with these results. They have one home game left. It's against Mac. Let's see if the home court advantage sticks in that game. If that's like the one game that Mac loses this year, I guarantee there's a student section in every gym next year. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, but it it matters. Like I don't want to like it 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 definitely matters. Like it's hard to go out there and perform when everybody's watching you, everyone's looking at you, everybody's yelling at you. Like it's tough, man. I hated it. Like the tough gyms to play in were always a challenge. Like yeah, we got wins sometimes, but never felt good. It never felt good. All right. Well, there's players and clowns of the week for you guys. So. I mean, that's all I got. I've carried us all the way, you know, 55 minutes into this episode. Thank you so much for listening. But what what do you what do you guys bring in? You got any sort of entertainment you're bringing to the people? Andrew, Josh, we've been chatting. Like, can you bring something to the table? I've been entertained. I think they should comment below if they've also been entertained. I thought this was a good episode. You've been mediocre at best, Josh. What else you got? (laughs) Well, I don't think we got to the topic. So let's leave the cliffhanger when cost comes back. Garrett, Ontario club season is too damn long. We need to delay it just a little bit and start when the other provinces do. I'm very excited. Yeah, no, no. You're both both nodding Uh, for our listeners. They're both nodding when he says that. So you heard it here first. Andrew Koss and Josh Nickel are advocating for less volleyball for you no, and your players. No, no less no, volleyball. No, no. They said no, no, no. it. You said it. Can't less, take it back. Cliffhanger. Less overlap with your school ball season. School. No, it's but your face towards school ball season is because it runs during club. No, I think no, I think, it's I think not. yeah, it is. It is. It is. Honestly, I I you look at the states. In big, big volleyball states, it, it's ridiculous how into high school volleyball they get to. They're well-run programs, right? I think it's because, and a big part of it, because they don't run their club season congruently with it. You're right, but for the wrong reason. So let's look at the states. You want to look at a big city in the states? They got big high schools with 4,000-plus students on there. So you want to put together a team out of that pool that you're drawing from? Great. Go for it. You're going to find a pretty good team. You go to Toronto or another big city in Ontario where you're drawn, you got like a high school, three major blocks from each other in the entire city. You got maybe 500 kids at your high school, 600 kids at your high school. You could have club team players who go to the same club team, but are split up on their school team because of how the areas work out. You want to talk about elevating the level of school volleyball? It's not going to happen. You got teams with no club players who don't even play club. They got people picking up for the first time. Like it's an absolute joke. So why does that work out in BC? Less compaction of those high schools. There it is. <laughs> what else you got? I mean, I thought you said you were going to bring some entertainment here, Josh. That was a very Toronto-centric answer where we all know that, like, Kingston, when they do well at offsets, because Regi and they're all, like, um, excuse me, it's a Kingston Rock now. It's not Pegasus. I was going to say Pegasus is their club team. There's other communities, Garrett, that are just outside of Toronto. I'm not sure if you're aware of that as a, as a Birchmount guy. But uh, I think school ball is important. I don't think the athletes should be going from one practice to another practice and everything overlaps. And, like, if we had Jen Cross on the show, she's talking about how she'd never had an off season because you just go from this to this to this. I think that's too much for the athlete. And I'm not sure that these extra two or three months make Ontario that much better. I think we could be more compact and more organized and, and get through it that way. I, don't know. I, well, I think I think you guys are have no idea what you're talking about. Another point is when you're going to club tryouts happen wet September most times, right? If you're actually trying to grow the game at like U14 for grade nines, right, grade tens, that's usually when a lot of people start, right? Why wouldn't you want it to happen after the high school season ends? Right. Most people play yeah. in the fall for both. Well, Why here's the male centric view from you two knobs. The men's school season is in the fall and the women's is in the winter. So if we start club in January, the women are still playing. So what are you both talking about? 
Well, obviously, Gary, we would match and do what BC does and have both high school seasons going on at once. Well, we're we're not the we're not the school boards, are we? Are you? Uh, well, hey, you got some influence there, Andrew. You got. You got I, know, I, I can get going on that, but no, I I don't know. I'm with Josh on this one. I'm I'm a pretty big advocate of that. I think it grows the game. I think you get more people there. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, the I think maybe, hot take. I don't know, maybe a hot take, but sharp cut. The sharp, yeah, sure, sharp cut would be. I think that's why BC probably has a more casual community of volleyball. I, I think that whole extent, it's a long shot uh, to make that connection. But the fact that you're able to have, again, that whole beach scene with kids, right? It helps that they're on the water in the ocean. I'm not saying that's not true. However, we have Ashbridge's Bay, one of those beautiful places in the world, my take. But um, to have that, right? They have such a great red leagues. Their climbers go crazy, right? I think part of that is because you have high school guys playing at like tier eight in climbers falling out because they had a good experience where they were able to get exposed. So you're advocating for the school volleyball experience. Yes. Yes. I'm to then teacher. grow the game, Garrett, and have more people to support our sport because you can't tell me Van Open's not the best event in Canada. And why is that? Because a bunch of volleyball people want to go out and support it. Yeah. I think, I think you're both crazy. Garrett, you've played finals at Ashbridge's Bay in front of like family and friends. We don't have people here. There's been more fans at a Cliver final than there has been at a provincial final. Yeah, I, I think that's people from Toronto are a little bit pretentious, and like it, it, that. I think that's a reflection on the city, but not that people don't play. There are thousands of people who play club volleyball and graduate high school having played club volleyball every year in the city. You're going to tell me that like if they play if you had school people there'd be a more better fan base? Like there's enough people. I I would say the beaches for sure I think that would benefit from it. How many how many players come from like that lease side area that are that are I don't know. I'm not crapping on lease side's club here by any means, but that whole east end that does have that access to the beaches, I think that would grow. I don't think that's that far of a stretch. Well, I mean, you two have outed yourselves here as complete nimrods in talking about the school volleyball. You haven't had to go through the experience, Josh. Do you know what it's like out there? Which, which part? Sorry, which part? School, high school volleyball. I, I was once in high school, yes, Garrett. It was a few years <laughs> And you ago. played? Yeah, yeah. Wasa. So you... You you know what it's like, and you're still saying it's good. Oh, you're trying to argue that because club ball is better than than school ball, you shouldn't play it at all. No, I'm arguing that just the experience overall is is a crapshoot. There's a few throwaway games. I think it's a good experience. I think it's good to play with people who are better than you, not better than you. I think it's good to play against different schools. I think it's good for an athlete to feel like they're they're important to their school and they can maybe have a little bit more confidence by playing for their school team. And I also think, Garrett, we have like 70 and change subscribers to the show. So maybe if we had 10% of fans from a bigger number, you know, we could increase our, our listeners for this show. Like I think if the volleyball community was bigger, 10% of, you know, 10,000 is bigger than 10% of the 70 listeners we have now. So you think if we shorten the club season, we'll grow the game? Yes. As, as strange a, as that sounds, Garrett. Which is a really tough argument to make, I think. <laughs> but you guys are making it. We don't know. We don't know. Would you say that the volleyball community in other provinces in the West Coast where they do that is bigger than in Toronto? Per capita, I don't think you could argue like Ontario's numbers of volume, like what percentage of the general population does Ontario have? It's a big chunk of people. So if we're talking pure numbers, Garrett, I think you're, you're lying with statistics. I think if we talk per capita, if you host an event, a national team event in Vancouver, like the, the men's and women's indoor team do, they sell more tickets than Big Bad Toronto does. And you could say, oh, there's less, there's less uh, competition for the entertainment dollar. I'm not so sure about that. I think there's a better community who people feel connected and want to be a part of the sport. And I don't think everyone who's going to watch these men's and women's games in Vancouver is a is a U sports level player. I don't think they're all high level players. I think they're people who just love volleyball. Yeah, I think it's a fair argument for you two to make. I think it's completely wrong, but I think it's fair. Um, I, I think it's a culture thing more than a um, like people in BC. Now that I've lived here for a year, people get out and do stuff. People go outside. 
People are like, go out, go for a walk, go and do stuff. Like in Toronto, people are meandering downtown, go for dinner, go, you know, go for coffee, go for drinks. Like they're not, they're outside less. So I just think it's a, a probably a culture thing less than, man, you're telling me Toronto, 8 million people in the GTA can't put together a massive group of people? Like they totally can, but they just rather be doing other stuff. I think there is a massive group of people. Like, if you want to take the the pessimist argument, Ashbridge's Bay on a Thursday night probably has a thousand people playing beach volleyball. Cool. The numbers there, they don't know who like Josh Winstock is walking down the boardwalk. There's no connection to the higher level community like what other sports have. Like, I don't think Connor McDavid can go to the grocery store without being recognized. Josh Winstock can play on court 27 at Ashbridge's Bay and have people think that he's just in the league. Like, that's how like disconnected some people are. And we could help that by shortening the club season. In a weird way, that would be one of the, the later ripple effects. Yes, because then they have a good volleyball experience. Then you then you get them into club. Then you get them into other things, and then it goes to this. Right now, the club season I think is a bit of a meat grinder, to be honest. Like, look at the participation numbers after 16U. Why do so many kids quit if they're having a good experience? All right. Well, comment down below. Let us know your thoughts. If you're still listening, I mean, we saved maybe some of the juicy stuff to the end. You said it was going to be a cliffhanger. Do you actually have a real cliffhanger? Because we got into it. Is this the last episode ever? Ever. <laughs> Whoa. 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 I was trying to think of a good cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, that's a poor cliffhanger because they're just going to see our fourth episode in a row pop up and be like, oh, that Josh, he teases. Uh, let's not promise that. <laughs> Okay, if the show doesn't come back, don't panic, though, because I don't think this will be the last Yeah, like, if we're not here next week, we're done forever. <laughs> oh, that's a lot. Of, I usually try to get the guests, like, two days before we record. Now I'm going to try, like, now, so to make sure that it happens, you know. Yeah, that's the kind of commitment we need. So, well, thanks, Andrew, for being with us, man. I appreciate you uh, joining us and offering your thoughts and putting yourself out there and risking it for me calling you, what did I call you, a Nimrod, a Knob? I've heard what you were talking about. I've heard it was very nice. Yeah, I, I'm not going to swear or say anything really bad. But anyway, thanks for joining us, man. It was a blast to have you. Um, thanks for being a good sport. And I mean, thank you for listening, everybody out there. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button because we're getting close. I think we passed it. Number of episodes, number of subscribers. So we need your help. Be a friend, tell a friend. I don't think Andrew has. No, you were one of our first subscribers, weren't you? Probably, I would think so. I've been on past. Uh, it hasn't subscribed. Subscribe um, on YouTube. That was a trap. That was, was gotcha journalism, and he won't get got. Okay, Garrett, let's defend him. He came on the show. Do all the stuff. Everybody, do all the stuff. Be a friend, tell a friend. We appreciate it. But that'll do it. We got to go. We're way over time. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.